comes a time in everybody's life when uh, people have to make a decision about their lives. They have to come to a, a point of decision, I guess you'd say, where they decide what they're going to build their lives on. What are they going to use to steer the course and direction of their life? What's and that's precisely what Jesus is going to talk to us about in Matthew's Gospel. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to finish out the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to pick up in verse 24 in just a moment. And I don't know about you, I mean, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a long time. We started all the way back in chapter 5, and we've worked our way, and we've dealt with each and every verse uh, all the way through chapter 7. And even if you didn't enjoy it, I enjoyed it because it's been good for me uh, just to see, I mean, it's just a week after week of Jesus' teaching. And it's just been so good because there's so much uh, there's so much meat in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and uh, uh, just like when I eat a meal, I like meat. And... Uh, and but it's it's been really good for me. But you know, whenever I, whenever you read the Sermon on the Mount, or really whenever you read any part of the Bible, we have to ask ourselves uh, respectfully, so what? And you may be saying to yourself, I can't believe my pastor just said that. That we should say so what about the Bible? And it's not a disrespectful so what. It's it's a now what? What do I do with it? So how is this going to make a difference in my life? How am I supposed to uh, put this into practice? And that's what Jesus is going to answer. He's going to tell us how we should how we should apply his words. And I've titled my sermon, A Tale of Two Builders, a simile that Jesus uses here. Uh, and really, is this. There are people who are going to hear Jesus' words, going to hear his teaching, and some people are going to apply it. They're going to put it in a... Some are not. And I've, as I said before, we all have to make a decision about what to base our lives on. But I think many people don't do it with conscious thought. They just stumble along and do what they've done before, um, go along and do what they've seen their parents doing. Depending on their parents, they may go along and do the opposite of what they saw their parents doing. All have a choice to make. And today is a day of decision. What are you going to base your life on? Is it going to be on Christ and His teaching? Or is it going to be on something else? And that's exactly the, uh, the point at which we find ourselves today. And my, my hope is that you will decide today to build your life, who you date, who you marry, uh, how you raise your kids, how you're going to live your life, uh, how you're going to have a marriage, uh, how you're going to work, all those things, all of life. My hope is that you'll base all of that on Christ and what He teaches. Because only a life that's founded on Him and His words will stand the storms of life. That's the only thing that's going to get you through. So if you found Matthew chapter 7, please stand with me. And we'll pick up in verse 24 and finish out the chapter. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. I think you may be seated. Now, as I read through this text, there, uh, there were a few truths that kind of jumped off the page at me. The very first 
is that if we are wise, we will prepare for the storms. If we are wise, we will prepare for the storms. Now, that's a popular train of thought in, in, uh, in uh, the world today, especially in, in American Christianity, and that is if you will just do what God says, if you are a Christian, it will all be smooth sailing. You ever heard something like that? And you hear that, and I hear, and that is an appealing thought because it's like I get a free ticket, right? If I just go to church, I don't have anything bad happen to me. If I just do what, what you know, if I'm just, if I'm a Christian, if I put my faith in Christ, nothing bad's going to happen. And that is such an appealing thought, and and it's it's preached all over the place. The problem is, it's not biblical. Flat problem. The Bible tells us over and over again that we need to be prepared for bad times. In particular, it tells us we need to be prepared uh, for, among other things, persecution. Now, we don't experience persecution in America. I think it's probably coming. I think that in many ways, uh, Christians throughout the country are experiencing, uh, uh, well, it, it's not persecution. It's not risen to that level yet. But I just want you to hear what the Bible says. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ, we'd say, yeah, that's me. He says, all who desire to live godly in, in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, I didn't realize that verse was there. What about Jesus? Anything about persecution? Well, surely he says stuff about, um, you know, loving our neighbors ourselves. That can't get us persecution, right? Well, in Mark's gospel... There's a rich young ruler came to Jesus. And the rich young ruler said, uh, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember this, this account? Jesus said, uh, Do the commandments. He says, Which one? You, you remember that whole exchange? Jesus points it back to the law. He said, I've done all those things. He says, One thing you still lack, go and sell what you have, get to the poor, and come to me. And the Bible says the man went away sad because he had a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of money. And Jesus then says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were like, man, then who can be saved? And Peter, I love Peter, because I can identify with him. He puts his foot in his mouth all the time. And he says, what about us, Lord? We've left everything. Can't you hear Peter saying that? Can't you hear yourself thinking that? What about me, God? What about me, Jesus? I've left everything. I left my, my family. I've left my job and I'm following you. And he's ready for a commendation from Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, and we think there's a period that he keeps going, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. The Bible does not hide the fact that if you're going to try to live a godly life, there's going to be some, some pushback. There's going to be some resistance. And it's not just persecutions we face, but we also face the same trials and tragedies and, and tribulations and all those things uh, that everybody else faces. And I've also said it many times, but it's true every time I say it, on top of all that stuff, when you get saved, you get three new enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're out to get out to undermine your Christianity. And we see it in Jesus' words here that we'll look at the description of them. The same storm that came upon the foolish man came upon the wise man. The saved and the unsaved 
both get cancer. I mean, that's, that's today's world. The saved and the unsaved both lose jobs. The saved and the unsaved have marital problems. The saved and the unsaved have kids that go astray. Storms are going to happen to everybody. But notice, the, notice again the wording that's used to describe these storms. They are exactly the same for the wise and the foolish. As one author well put it, he said, Suddenly, when we think we are in safety, the heavens may be overcast, the storm may lower, and calamity may beat upon us. In a moment, health, friends, comforts may be gone. And maybe you've experienced that, but then he goes on to say this. How desirable, then, to be possessed of something that the tempest cannot reach. Such is an interest in Christ, reliance on his promises, confidence in his protection, and a hope of heaven through his blood. Earthly calamities do not reach thee. That's an old-fashioned way of saying it, but there, there's some good stuff there. If we're going to be wise, we're going to prepare for storms because they're coming on everybody, but also... Uh, I want you to see that there's also a more important meaning here because implicit in Jesus' words is a warning that one day there's going to be a final storm. One day we're all going to stand before God. And in that day, the Bible says that the quality of men's work will be judged by fire and whatever is eternal will, will remain. Now today, you up besides Christ uh, at your foundation. Maybe you're counting in money. You're counting on a church membership. You're counting on uh, what the faith that your grandparents have. You know, I've never, I've, I've, I think today there are fewer preachers than there used to be. And part of the reason I say that is because everybody I talked to had a grandpa that was a preacher. Because they find out I'm a preacher. Oh, yeah, my grandpa was a preacher. You know, a lot of people put their faith in, in somebody else's faith. They think because Grandpa was a preacher, that's going to come into heaven. You know why? Anything apart from Christ and His teaching is a foolish foundation. It's sinking sand. But whatever your life the Bible says that if we'll repent, if we'll turn our, our back on our old way of living, that we'll be saved and we can lay a solid foundation for an everlasting home in heaven. The storms are coming. They're a part of life. It's going to happen in the here and now, but also in a day to come. And I'm reminded of, of a poem by C.T. Studd. I'm not going to recite the whole poem because I can't remember it all. But there was a refrain out of that. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's going to be a day when, when your works are going to be put to the test. So be wise and prepare for the storms that are coming. The second truth that I see in this is that we need to found our lives on Christ's teaching lest our house collapse. Found your life on Christ's teaching lest your house collapse. Now, a lot of people, if I were to ask, if I were to, take, to have taken a poll before I started preaching, what is the rock? You would have said, Jesus, especially after singing some of the songs that we sang today, on Christ the solid rock. And there's, there's, a, there's a sense in which he is. You know, he just... Uh, in the words of, I think it's Martin Luther, uh, he's a bulwark, never failing. Uh, Paul said that no one could lay another foundation other than what's been laid, and that's Christ Jesus. Uh, the Bible calls him cornerstone. You remember he's talking to, uh, to Peter, and he said, on this rock I'll build my church. Some people think that Jesus is talking about himself there. 
But if you'll notice closely the wording that he what is the, the rock in 20, verse 24? It's on his teaching. His teaching is the rock, the only sure foundation. And I think this is important because it puts some, some responsibility on us, doesn't it? Because he says, look, look at verse 24 again. He says, Every and acts on them, make it be compared to a wise man who's built his house on the rock. And there's, there's uh, some responsibility here for Christian living. Now, that's not to say that we go at it alone because we cannot do the Christian life on our own. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit's empowerment, His enablement, His help. But what I mean is there are a lot of people who claim to be a Christian, but their lives don't back it up. They don't, they don't live out Jesus' teaching. They don't live like Christ says to live. And if we will do the things that Jesus says to do, it's going to support us in whatever it is that we face. Look again at verse 25. The storm came, the, the rain came down, the floods came up, and the wind came from the sides. It's coming from all directions. You ever been in the storms? I mean, it, it's not, we say when it rains, it pours. What do we mean? So something bad's happening, it just really happens. Same type of idea here. It, when the storms come, come from all directions. And yet the house did not fall. Look at verse 25 again. And yet it did not fall for or because it was founded, it was built on the rock that made it stand the, the storm. It was the foundation of the house. It was living in obedience to God's word that made it stand the, the And I can confidently tell you that Jesus and his teachings will get you through. It's not to say the difficulties won't be difficult. The painful times won't be painful. They'll be hard and they'll be painful. But your house won't collapse. Found your life on Christ and his word. And the last thing that I want you to notice here, and this is linked with the last thing, is that we shouldn't just read what Christ says. We need to do what Christ says. Do what Christ says. Don't just read what Christ says. In other words, obedience is the completion of hearing. Obedience is the completion of hearing. Now notice, again, the difference between these two builders. It's not the house. If, if you were to look at them on the outside, they probably look the same. The difference was not their circumstances because the exact same storm came on both houses. The difference was solely in the foundation. And according to Jesus, that consisted of obedience to what he had said. Why is that important? Well, like I just said a moment ago, there are a lot of people who are professors of religion. And I don't mean professors in the educational sense, but I mean they are, are people who profess to have a relationship with Christ. They make a big claim, yet they don't do what he said. And I'm not talking about perfection. But I mean there are a lot of people who will read their Bible, they'll go to church, they'll listen to the preaching, go to school, go to small group, whatever it is, but at the same time refuse to practice what they hear and what they read. James, in, in the book chapter 1, he takes this same image and he applies it to everyday life. Here's what James uh, chapter 1 says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, go, who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. 
the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And what a picture that is. The person who strives to live out the word of God is different from the person who reads it, hears it, and they don't put it into practice. Because he says the person who reads it, hears it, and then try to live it out, it's like the person that looks at themselves in the mirror and goes away and forgets what they look like. As I thought about that image this week, I, re- I realized that our mental image of ourselves is usually pretty off. And maybe maybe you're like this too. Maybe you can be on one extreme or the other. But sometimes when I think about the way I look, the way like I... I have a conversation, and I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of weird. Sometimes it's like, picture what I probably look like as I was saying whatever. I know you probably don't do that, but I've done it before. And I, I think about it, and when I envision myself, I envision the way I looked in high school. <laughs> now, I know cognitively I don't look the same today as I did in high school. Does anybody else that? And I, I envision myself doing, you know, looking that way. And then I look in the mirror, and I look like I ate the person that I was in high school. You know what? Can I get an amen on that? Now, not about me looking like I ate, you know, but you know what I mean. But it's like my mental image is just so off. Or, you know, we watch, I don't really care about sports, but maybe you watch, and I know the Super Bowl's coming up, there are going to be a lot of uh, armchair quarterbacks. Thinking, you know what, if I was out there on that field, I would have I would have broken that tackle, I would have taken it in, and, you know, the punt return, I would have run it all the way back. And we have these big ideas. And then we go out and we try playing football with the kids, and we realize, you know what, I ain't got it in me. I can't hang with the, the big boys. What I'm saying, I mean, we, we just have these ideas that are not accurate. And similar. We, we kind of get that way with our spiritual lives too, don't we? After a while, we stop reading the Bible, we stop trying to do what it says, and we start thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing so bad. I'm not doing so bad compared to my co-worker. Man, if my preacher knew what he was doing, what she was doing, he'd be having a visit, right? Or if, and we just set up our uh, this scenario where we always come out on top. And it's like we forget God's requirements. But then when we read the Bible, we have God's standards. We have God, uh, Christ as an example. We try doing what the Bible says. It's like trying to go out and play football. You can't do it so well. You know, you try to live in what the Bible says, and, and you get some, some jerk that you have to deal with in the store or wherever it is, and you realize, you know what, it's a lot harder to do what Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. It's a lot harder to do it when somebody is yelling at you. And, and, and when, when we try to do God, that mirror that says, you know what, you're not nearly as good as what you think you are. You don't have it all together like you think you do. And so that, that idea of obedience, it makes a huge difference. And, and Jesus says, we need to make a choice. Are we going to do what he says or not? Are we going to be merely a professor of Christianity or a possessor of Christ? Are we going to have him in our hearts and let him come out the way that we live? 
And again, it's hard to overstate this idea of obedience. I know I draw a lot of uh, illustrations from my life at school because that's where I spend most of my day with kids. And sometimes, if you maybe you've never worked at school, but if you've dealt with kids, you've probably experienced this. I'll ask a kid to do something sometimes, and I might as well be talking to a chair. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I will say, would you do this? Open, I do lab, so open this program. Click this. Do what I'm doing. Follow these directions. And sometimes they just sit there. They'll just stand there. I mean, nothing, right? Sometimes they'll look at me while I'm doing it. And they'll look at me and I'll say, go sit down. And they stare at me. And I'm not making fun of anybody. That's just what they do. Now, has that child been obedient to what I've said to do? Just because he heard what I said. Of course not. He's not obedient until he acts on my words. And the same thing with God. Sometimes we think, well, I've read my Bible this week. Man, I read it. I read it seven times. Yeah, I, I didn't do it the first six days, but I read it seven times in one day. I've done what God wants me to do. I've gone to church this week, a time, even two times. I've done what God wants me to do. I even stayed awake when Jeff was preaching. And we said, I have been obedient to what God wants. I am pleasing to Him because I've heard what He said. Wrong. It's just like a kid. You tell them to do something. They're not obedient because they heard you. They're obedient when they do it. And we read the Bible, we go to church, and we think that we're obedient, but we're not until we act on this word. Folks, we have a choice to make. Are we going to do what Christ says or not? That's really the, the base choice. When you boil it all down, obedience disobedience. Are we going to go beyond hearing only to the doing or not? Because if we will, Jesus says, we'll be wise. We'll be founding our houses, our lives, on the rock. If we refuse to do what Jesus says, we are indeed foolish. We're foolish. We won't have a firm foundation. When the storms of life come, our house is going to fall. Now, you may know somebody that has nothing to do with God. They'll, they'll go to church. They, if you were to talk to them about Jesus, they might give you a cussing. I mean, they don't, have, they don't have anything to do with God. And they have all kinds of bad stuff happen, and their house had not collapsed yet. Their life is still holding up. Well, you know what? Each one that comes along undercuts that foundation a little bit. May not may not be all at once, but every, every storm just a little bit just keeps undercutting, undercutting. Takes that foundation out a little bit. Days is going to fall. And Jesus says, great will be its fall. Now, beyond the storms of this life, as I said before, there's a day of judgment coming when each of us is going to stand before God. And if you built your house on religion, your family, your job, just a mere profession of faith, any foundation that's not Christ and His Word is sinking sand. It's not going to be sufficient. It's fleeting. And it'll be all the more fleeting when you stand before God. As the poem writer said, only what's done for Christ will last. Christian, do you have anything in your life that's going to last? Are you involved in all these trifles that you know don't really make any difference? Are you building your, your life? Are you doing? Are you just doing life 
built on Jesus. Build your life on Christ. If, if up to this point you've never accepted Christ, your foundation has not been in Christ, you can switch foundations. You know, if it's a house out here, I mean, we can identify with rocks out here. It's rocky in Lawrence County. We can identify with rocks. But when Luke records this, it, Jesus, he records Jesus talking about digging down and founding your life on the solid rock, the bedrock. He's not saying go out here and find a big rock laying on top of the ground. He means dig down deep, switch foundations. Now, you can't do it with a physical house, but you can with your life. If you'll repent of your sins, if you'll turn from your old ways, put your faith in Christ, and ask Him to forgive you. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've not done that, do it today. I want you to stand with me as And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Again, when, when I preach a sermon like this, it's, it's kind of difficult because I don't want to come across like God requires uh, 100% excellence every time. That's what you should aim for. But it's not like He's going to disown you if you fail. There's forgiveness for that. John wrote, I've written these things that you might not sin, but when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's a propitiation for our sins, the Bible says. I'm not saying that I am perfect, because I know I'm not. But Jesus says, Be holy. As my Father in heaven is holy. That's our goal. That's our aim. What is the foundation of your life?